Welcome into The Harvest. I'm Andrew Stroud. We're doing this podcast because we want to help people walk with Christ, share their faith, make disciples, and be the church right where they live their daily lives. Today, we're starting the first of two episodes on church in the harvest. On today's show, we ask some big questions like, how did we get here? What are the forces that have shaped our modern understanding of church? How is the church supposed to look and work? And how does the church we're familiar with today differ from the church we see in the New Testament? You might describe today's episode as our attempt to reorient our understanding of church away from what's familiar and back to what Scripture describes. That should set us up for our next episode of the podcast, where Abigail and I get practical and share what Church in the Harvest looks like for us in our local areas. Now, we're hoping these episodes on Church in the Harvest generate questions and feedback from you because we're going to take those and use them for our first Q&A show in the near future. So, if you have a question about something we cover in these next two podcasts, or maybe a question about something we didn't cover that you were hoping we would, we want to hear from you. You can message us on Facebook or Instagram or email your questions to info at intotheharvest.org. Hey, everybody. This is the Into the Harvest podcast. I'm Abigail, and I'm here with... Andrew. Welcome, Abby. How are (laughs) you? Hi. I just threw that out there. I was like, you better fill in your name, man. Let's go. (laughs) All right. So we're here. Um, Today, we are without our best third... Lakeith, he has to work today, so it's just the two of us, but we're going to do our very best without Lakeith. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> yes. So um, we have a really cool topic today, uh, and it's such a big one, in fact, that when Andrew and I started talking about it, we felt like, oh, we were going to have to do a part one and part two. <laughs> so, so this <laughs> is part one in our series on the topic of church and the harvest. Andrew, why don't you just uh, give us kind of an overview of maybe why this is important for the Into the Harvest ministry? Well, most folks know that one of our slogans is to live out our faith, to take the message and mission of Jesus into the everyday places of life. And so that includes sharing our faith, that includes making disciples, but it also includes being the church and living as the church in everyday places and throughout the week, not just on Sunday. And so since we launched Into the Harvest earlier this year, um, this has been a topic that many of you have asked us about over social media, and it's something that we've touched on in some of our blog articles, some of our Instagram stories. Um, We actually did a series of Mission Minute videos, uh, Mission Minutes uh, 51 through 57, on the topic of church and uh so it's but it's it's definitely something that we're passionate about you know Jesus himself said that he would build his church and i know for me whatever it is that i'm giving my life to if i'm giving my life to building something i want it to be alongside jesus so church is something that jesus is absolutely committed to we're part of the church and so uh this this podcast episode and next is really going to give us a chance to dig into this topic of church in the harvest and to get a little more specific with you all about what we mean when we talk about church in the harvest. It really is such a huge topic and it does come up a lot in conversation, just whether I'm out talking to people and they're not Christian, (laughs) um, 
church comes up. And then it also comes up with fellow believers. And it comes up on, you know, our social media. People are asking us about it. And it's just this really huge, like, one word that covers a whole lot. (laughs) And so what we wanted to do is maybe – you know, because it's us and we get to choose because it's our podcast. We're going to pick the things that we feel most passionate about. Um, and so for us, you know, that is is kind of unpacking what church is today um, and then what the Bible has to say about church. And, you know, not in like maybe the most all-encompassing way, but the things that we think are maybe the most important for us Mm. to cover. So we're just going to start by digging into this idea of what church is um, currently. Um, And I think in our notes, uh, we had put, you know, how did we arrive where we are today when it comes to our understanding of church? And Andrew had written that. And I said, Andrew, is that a big we or a little we? And it's apparently a big we, right, Andrew? (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is a big we. In fact, uh, when we think about what we're going to cover in this episode and what folks can expect from the next episode, today that's one of the big things that we want to dig into is how did we get here? How did we arrive where we are today when it comes to our understanding of church? And that's a capital we. <laughs> uh, but we probably need to clarify that when we talk about we on this podcast – um, who who are we talking about, Abigail? Uh, well, we're talking about the evangelical church in general, right? I mean, that's the big <laughs> we. I it, mean, it's huge. That's right. So, um, and and I I even hesitate to say that because I don't even feel like I can speak for the big we. I mean, there is I I know when I when I think about the large church, as in the world church, you know that there are people worshiping and following Jesus all over the world that I I can't even fathom their circumstances or their lives. And so I know it looks really different for them, and they probably could bring so much to this conversation. Um, So I would just go ahead and say that I can only speak from a very Western perspective on this topic. Uh, So that's probably just everybody out there know that this is a little girl sitting in Texas, and that's the perspective I'm going to come from. (laughs) Well, probably most of our listeners share a similar context and so yes. we're going to speak to <laughs> yeah we're going to speak to how did we get here in other words most of us when we hear the word church there are certain ideas that come to mind and for those of us in the west in in particular those of us who are from a protestant tradition uh, an evangelical tradition we've got certain ideas that and maybe even assumptions yeah. that we're operating from so that's that's kind of where we want to start on on this show is how did we get to where we are today when we think about church, recognizing that there are believers in other parts of the world who are going to see it from a a much different perspective, but they're probably not listening to this podcast. So we're going to (laughs) have this conversation based on our experiences, but also based on what we believe most of our listeners will understand and identify with. So that's we're going to start with that today. We're also going to talk about reasons why church in the harvest is such a good idea, and we're going to take a time uh, take some time to look at Acts chapter two and the early church and how they were operating. And then in our next episode, Abigail, what's the plan for what we'll be talking about then? 
Yeah, so we're going to um, be a little bit more personal in our second part where we'll talk about you know how we arrived at what we currently see church as and just what our churches look like. And this is all little we, so it'll just be you know Andrew's um, church in San Diego and my church here in, um, in San Antonio, um, and we'll kind of maybe answer some questions that we get a lot of in regards to what it looks like in a very practical sense. So this is going to be a little bit more you know, metaphysical, and then the next one will be much more practical. So just yeah. stay tuned, everyone. Absolutely. So let's dive in. Let's look at uh, how did we get to where we are today in terms of our understanding of church and how we go about living as the church. And I would say that that most of us in the West, we tend to think of church as a place or an event. And this can really be seen with questions like, where do you go to church? Because we're thinking about a place, a location, or someone might ask, what time does church start? Uh, And what's really happened is we have confused church buildings and church services with church itself. In our minds, they've sort of become synonymous, and that's not actually what we see in Scripture. And, you know, we're standing here in the 21st century, and as we mentioned earlier, it's it's sometimes the case where we just have assumptions that what we see and what we understand about church, just by looking around us and, and what we've experienced in our lifetimes, is the church, in that it's it's the actual biblical model of church and one thing that I hope we're able to do in this episode is is challenge that notion a little bit. So Abigail, for you, has that been your experience as well? I mean, I know we're going to talk about this more in, in our next episode, but uh, you and I were having a conversation before uh, hitting the record button about the Reformation. And I know your husband, Brett, is reading a book right now on the Reformation. Uh, those of us who are Protestants, you know, we come out of the Reformation where sincerely minded believers wanted to reform problems that they saw in the Catholic Church, but not everything got reformed. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's so interesting. And man, you know, I guess I should start reading the good books, but my husband keeps reading them and just tells me about them and then I get jealous. Um he's reading um a book about the just the life of Martin Luther right now and he keeps coming to me with these really great tidbits and one of those was just about how he was so surprised at how the church really didn't look much different like post-Reformation, like especially right after. So we're talking like still in the lifetime of Martin Luther. Um, And so he was just, you know, kind of like, man, there was still a lot of change to happen, you know, in those (laughs) next hundreds of years. And so we were just talking about that. But to take that idea a little bit further, you know, we need to know kind of where we come from. And we do come from a very formulaic background. We come from the Catholic Mm. tradition, and we did change an awful lot. And some of that was you know, really by the grace of God, and we're super grateful. But we do need to remember that a lot of those forms of tradition, high church, low church, those types of things are still at play today. And we just have to be aware of that, um, aware that those are still going on. And they're not bad. They're not, it's not a bad thing. Hmm. We just need to be aware that that's something that we as a culture kind of brought about. So, uh, Andrew, I want us to throw to our notes real fast. Friends, as you're listening, you cannot see our notes. 
They're really excellent. And there's a whole <laughs> section where Andrew put in a part about the Reformation. And then I had to tease him that maybe he did go to seminary because they're like super nerd. So, Andrew, I'm going to need you to cover that <laughs> section because I can't even pronounce some of those words. What's going on there? Yeah. So I would encourage everyone uh, every believer to become a student of church history because <laughs> if you don't know how we become got, a nerd, people. If you don't know, <laughs> yes, uh, Abby was teasing me that uh, I I am a nerd, but I don't have the paper to justify it. <laughs> With the Reformation, a lot of times we talk about the uh, five soli of the of the Reformation. So there's sola scriptura, sola fide, solo gratia, solo. Christus and solo, soli Deo Gloria, which are just fancy Latin ways of saying scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone, that, that these were onlys that the, that the reformers stood firm on, that they were only going to base their teachings on scripture and not on traditions that had accumulated over the centuries by decree and and by church edicts, but they were going to go back to the scriptures and scripture alone was going to become the basis of, of their teachings, of their doctrines and of their practices of discipleship. And then being saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's what soli fide was about. But all of that to say that the Reformation brought about some much-needed corrections in the church because the Reformation was something that happened in the 16th century. And so uh, in the 1500s, uh, if you went back to the 1400s, the church was the Catholic Church, at least in the West. If you If you talked about the church, you were talking about the Catholic Church. You didn't have... Baptist churches, Methodist churches, um, you didn't have non-denominational churches. There was the Catholic Church. And as we moved into the 1500s, in large part because of Gutenberg and the invention of the printing press, the Bible became widely distributed in different languages. It was no longer just in uh, hand-copied manuscripts written in Latin. And more and more people began to read the Bible, and they began to see that there were some things that were just out of sync with the way that they saw the church operating, the Catholic church operating, and then what they saw in Scripture. And this led to a desire to reform the church, the Catholic church. And so the goal initially was never to break away from the Catholic Church, but simply to fix some things that were out of sync in the church with Scripture. And uh, ultimately, that, that was not accepted by the Catholic Church, and so there was a break, and now we have a whole group of churches in the West that are known as Protestant churches, because these were churches that were formed by people who were protesting things about the Catholic Church that that they saw as being out of sync with Scripture. And so there's a lot of good that has come from the Reformation. And all of us, I shouldn't say all of us, many of us are are products of the Protestant Reformation and the Protestant influence. But we do have to say, and this is what Brett was talking about in his conversation with Abigail, is that when it came to church itself, most of the externals were simply carried over by the Protestants. And so... Mm. The Catholic Church had cathedrals and they had professional clergy, the priests, and that really just carried over into the Protestant versions of the church. You still had these these large ornate buildings, you still had these professional priests or pastors, and the churches were really run by the states at that point. And so you had the Church of England, and then in Germany you had the Lutheran Church, 
And so there was, there was still a lot that needed to be reformed. And I think you can make the case that we never quite ended up reforming our understanding of church and our practice of what church looks like. And so when we think about exhortation and exaltation, even today, we tend to outsource those to specially trained people or specially approved experts. And so exhortation becomes the job of the pastor, that he is he's the one person who is uniquely qualified to teach the Word of God and to exhort the believers in the church about what the Bible means and how they should live it out. Or exaltation, that there are specially qualified worship leaders that have the opportunity to stand up front and and lead God's people in worship. But uh, the question is, does that come from Scripture, or is that something that has come down to us because of traditions that have accumulated over 2,000 years of church history since the time of Christ? Okay, so full stop on the the nerd monologue there, Abigail. <laughs> no, Andrew, that was really perfect. Um, it was... It was good, and I think um, I'm going to use kind of what you said there in regards to what the Reformation did, which was to get us back to the Word, to Scripture. You know, the, that was really why that needed to happen, is because the church had gotten so far away from its scriptural base. And, you know, like you said, because of the printing press, because of all of that, people started to realize it because they could read. <laughs> so um, so we're going to kind of do that too. Uh, we're now going to kind of turn to Scripture, and we're going to use that as sort of our way of looking at what church should be. Um, and something you pointed out to me, which is great, is that, you know, the Bible does not define church. It just gives us a picture, a kind of an example of, of church. And we can be really grateful for that, I think, because God knew that this would need to transcend, you know, that time and that space and even that part of the world. And so what he did instead was to give us a sort of a blueprint for what we needed to be looking for and cultivating, but it wasn't like, you know, his, to the extent that he gave when he gave the directions for the temple, which I think maybe deep down we all wanted him to. (laughs) We wanted God to be like, and the building will be this size and you'll walk in through this door, but he didn't. (laughs) So um, instead, he sent us Jesus, who totally took care of those types of aspects for us um, as followers of God and followers of Jesus. And so we're just going to walk through maybe what the Bible has to say in regards to church. Do we want to jump right into Acts or do we need to cover some other stuff first? Yeah, we're going to look at Acts, the end of Acts chapter 2, but uh, a couple of quick notes just just to touch on what you were just saying. One is I do think that it's human nature to think the way that um, that we were describing there that that worship needs to be codified that it needs to happen at a certain place and and in a certain way. And that's really what we're talking about. And most people are comfortable with the idea that that church or that any kind of sacred uh, service or, or worship is going to happen at a special place and it's going to happen in a certain way. And even in John 4, uh, we've talked about this before, Abby, that the woman at the well in her conversation with Jesus, one of her statements was that you know, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, talking about the Jewish people, 
she she tells Jesus, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus's response, I think, is is very relevant to us today. And he said that uh, an hour is coming, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so I don't think that this is just, hey, the Catholic Church got us off track. Yeah. I think that it's human nature. Yeah. <laughs> it's human nature to think that church is supposed to happen in a special place and it's supposed to look a special way. And you see that all the way back in John 4. Yeah. And I just, I think that we as human beings love a good structure. I think that's why, you know, I was joking about the temple thing, but it's true. Like there's just something deep down inside of us that wants, um, to be able to like check off some some blocks so that we can feel good hmm. about ourselves, you know, <laughs> like I'm doing it the proper way, um, and that's just built into us. And I, I think we just have to acknowledge it and and not cut ourselves a break for it, but just know that that's kind of our maybe deeply rooted sinful natures coming out. Um, but what we do see in scripture, and uh, in especially just looking at Jesus's ministry, you know, and he came to die for sins, but also to show us how to live. And he was all about his ministry being all the time and all over the place. Now, he did go into the temple and the synagogues on the Sabbath, and he did worship, you know, in the traditional Jewish ways, but he also was doing it all over. I mean, we see him um, at weddings and funerals and by the side of the lake while people are fishing. He's in people's houses having meals. He is really taking that idea of a sacred place um, and showing us that instead he wants it out in the everyday place. So that was something that Jesus already was doing even before, you know, he died and went back to heaven. And then his people are like, okay, here we go. Early church. Let's do this. So that's kind of what we'll be <laughs> looking at um, with Acts. But we just we want to be able to reference the example we have with Jesus as well, um, that he is really showing us that um, at least when you're with him, which now when we're with the Holy Spirit, we are communing with God the Father um, any anytime and anywhere. So that's kind of the the foundation that we want to be considering at all times when we're talking about this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now into Acts 2. Um, do we want to read it to everybody? You guys out there, do you have your Bibles in front of you? Probably not. You're probably driving or in my case, you're working out. So we will read you just the end portion of Acts chapter 2, 36 through 47. Um, and then probably what I think we'll do, Andrew, is just take this sort of piece by piece and point out sort of the main things that God is really showing us are important um, when gathering together as, as the body of Christ. Uh, so I will read it for us. So, and starting in verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And this is Peter talking to the crowd, by the way. So when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay. So, Andrew, (laughs) what do we see here? What are kind of some um, elements that we see that are are clearly important to being a follower of Jesus and kind of in that meeting together? Well, one, one phrase that stood out to me, even as you were reading it there, was in verse 41. It says there that those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so one of the questions that I would ask is, added to their number, what is that talking about? If you look at the verses that precede these in the book of Acts, you see that the believers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, numbered about 120 that were there in the city of Jerusalem. And they were, they were staying connected with one another praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, that Jesus had had promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. He did that at the beginning of chapter 2, and that's what led to this opportunity for Peter to share the message about Jesus. And so when it says that 3,000 were added to their number, that's talking about the church, that up until that moment there were about 120 members of the church, followers of Jesus there in Jerusalem, and the church grew from 120 to a little over 3,000 on this day because a number of people heard this message from Peter, put their faith in Jesus, and, and were baptized. So that's that's one thing that stands out to me is that we are talking about the, the growth mm. of the church here in the earliest days. Yeah. You know, when I was little, I used to really imagine Peter standing up and just speaking to 3,000 people. Um, And I think I must have forgotten being like a seven-year-old that they didn't have microphones back then. And so that was really probably (laughs) not possible for 3,000 people to hear this thing that Peter just said. But probably instead, what is the more realistic view is that they started telling each other what Peter had just said. You know, this spread like wildfire, you know, if you couldn't hear, then you were talking to your neighbor next to you, like, what did he just say? You know, and so the Holy Spirit really moved in that community and they were sharing with one another. And like you said, they were growing. They were, this was a fast moving train, but it was, um, it was a healthy, um, picture of church in the sense that they were sharing with one another the truth and adding to their numbers because of that. So yeah, that's a really great point. Well, one thing that we talked about before jumping on here was that, as you said, that the the Bible doesn't, the New Testament does not define church so much as describe it. And so part of what we want to do with this particular passage is ask ourselves, how should biblical church look and work, Hmm. you know, based on this, this chapter? This isn't the only place where you can go, but this is a great place to look and say, well, what did it look like? And 
how was it working? What, what were they actually, what kind of activities were they engaged in as, as the church, as the people of Jesus? And so I was just going to ask you, Abigail, what were some of, what were some of your insights, either in terms of how did the church look or how was the church working here in Acts chapter two? Yeah, um, I think the first thing was right there in that same verse, which is that they were being baptized. So they were, you know, baptizing those that were being saved. So that's something that we, you know, went to see happening um, as followers of Jesus. We want to see people making that step um, and, you know, proclaiming their faith in that act. Um, And then we, then as it goes down in 42 through 47, I mean, it's like, in very boom, 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 quick succession, we've got a lot of juicy stuff that they're um, they're doing. So we see them um, breaking bread together and prayer, and they're following the apostles' teaching. So right there off the bat, we have them devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings is just that they had authority. The apostles were clearly their leaders, and they were under that leadership there. And so it may not be what we would think today with our um, idea of pastors and theological degrees, etc. But it was a, a leader, because that's kind of God has always had a leadership hierarchy, and that was still intact there as well. And they were submitting themselves, devoting themselves to that teaching and to fellowship, which is, you know, the being together and, you know, not... Just I we oh man I I think we in our society are just so very singular. We like go to our houses and then we maybe come out once or twice during the week to fellowship with each other. And here they were doing it <laughs> daily. You know they were they were yeah. really devoted to one another. Um, and so that also shows like a strong sense of community. They were sharing their lives with one another. And it also says to breaking of bread, which which um, a lot of people say, you know, is like the communion aspect, like they were doing that. And we have kind of, I, I guess, Andrew, is that something that people have just interpreted as that? Or is it just literally eating? I don't know. Yeah, well, the early church, the early church would gather and it was oftentimes around a meal. They would actually call it a love feast, which you can read about in the book of Jude and in other places. First Corinthians talks about this. But what we normally have familiarity with today is the Sunday service, and it typically looks a certain way where there's some singing at the outset, and then there is a sermon or a lecture, maybe some singing at the end, and that's it. Yeah. For the early Christians, it was really built around a meal, that they would come together, they would share a meal. Part of that was what we refer to as the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, but it was, it was bigger than that. It was a, it was a full meal. Yeah. Uh, Paul in first Corinthians talks about how <laughs> some of the believers were eating all the food so that others arrived right. and didn't have anything <laughs> to eat. And I so it was definitely more than just, yeah, it was more than just a small cup of grape juice and um, a stale oh, wafer. Man. I mean, this was I a know. meal. You guys, we've come so far. Enjoying. It's, it's a mess. We need to get back. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we also, like in the 46, you know, it says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Like that's so much more than the passing of some grape juice and a cracker. So that really has, it's a much more relational and um, fulfilling thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you, you see some of the ingredients that you talked about there, Abigail. One is that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And one of the ways to understand the New Testament today is the teaching of the apostles. The books that we have that we know of as the New Testament were written by the apostles or by those who were close associates of the apostles, people like Luke and Jude. Um, I can't believe I've mentioned Jude twice in this uh, episode. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's getting some shout outs. Yeah, it's good. Good for him. But so so what's exciting about that is that we today in the 21st century, we too can and should devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. It's when we come together and we turn to the scriptures and we, we ask ourselves, what do the apostles have to teach us about Jesus and about living as his people? And so they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching because the apostles were the ones who had been with Jesus and who could pass on to these new believers, who is Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? How can we live as his people in everyday life? Uh, they were devoting themselves to fellowship, which was just their, their connection with one another. It goes far beyond just gathering together for a religious uh, service or a religious time. But they were sharing everything in common is, is what we're told here. And then it says, of course, that they were devoting themselves to prayer, to praising God. And it, it also mentions that all of this was happening in a way that was visible to those who were not yet in the church. Because it says that they were enjoying the favor of all the people and that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. So they were living as the church in such a way that people on the outside were seeing it and were being drawn to uh, desiring to be a part of this community of faith that they were seeing there in Jerusalem. Yeah. What What do you think, Andrew, is today's equivalent of the temple courts? I've been thinking about this recently. I don't have like a full on answer, but I think it's a good thing to ponder that we like what, you know, where should we be gathering so that it's like this in the sense that it's visible, but it's also in, you know, a place where people can see what we're about, you know, that we're not hiding away behind closed doors, but we're being accessible. Well, I, I don't think we have a direct equivalent, of sure, course, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> because we just don't. The, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the temple court, this is, uh, again, to go a little bit nerd here. Yes. Um, at that time, the the Jewish people were under the rule of the Romans and the Romans actually uh, did not have a keen eye towards any group of people gathering publicly because it was opportunity for um, conspiracy or rioting or rebellion. And so the, the temple was actually one of the few places where huge numbers of people could gather. So that was one of the, uh, the places where the Jewish people could publicly gather mm -hmm. and be around one another for the purpose of worshiping God. And so that aspect of it, I think, is still true today that we want to think about where are the public or visible places where we can be living out our faith together in a way that, that other people can see. And it won't necessarily be this, this religious place, but it will be where large numbers of people are coming together and, and gathering. 
I don't even know if it has to be large numbers. Yeah, uh, but th- gathering case, places. Th- thousands of people. I, I think gathering, yes, places, gathering pe- is places is the key there. Because really, you know, if you know anything about, which Andrew does because he is a nerd, but for the rest of us, you know, the, the temple was divided up into different, you know, courts, essentially. And so those outer courts, you know, those that like the, the women and stuff could go into, they were really far less... Um, I I guess, like, holy and reverent as we might think they are in our little minds. Like, if you think back to when Jesus kicks all the the money changers and stuff out of the temple, I mean, we're bordering on it being a marketplace at times. Now, for for bad or for good, (laughs) you know, that's kind of what we're looking at here. And so it is very much a gathering place of people, and it's where they could go and, you know, be together. And I did not know that about the Romans, but that makes a lot of sense, Andrew. So thanks for yet another nerd tidbit for today. This has been really eye-opening on so many levels, listeners. I'm glad you could all join us for this. So uh, let's see. We're really running out of time because there's just so much good stuff here, and I think we'll probably just need to wrap it up. But what we want um, to just... I guess uh, my takeaway from looking at this portion of Acts and what we also just started out with about talking about the definition of church and um, is there even such a thing as a definition of church, to me this passage comes as close as there can be as far as revealing to us the elements that are important to God um, and the elements that he, when the Holy Spirit is present, present um, his people start doing. And that's what we want to be looking for. We want to be looking for people devoted to scripture. That's important. You know, we want to look for people that are devoted to fellowship. That's important. We want to look to people who, you know, prioritize sharing what they know and baptizing others. And we, these are things that are important. Um, and because we see them here and we can get into like the nitty gritty of like, well, I like it when we have church and it's super, super loud and there's very loud worship music. Or I like it when we just sing hymns and, you know, are very reverent. You know, we may get like next um, episode, we're going to tell you kind of how we do church, but we really want to make sure that it, you know, that's all kind of superficial stuff to some extent. But um, what we have here in the Bible is um, the things that are important to God and what he wants for us. So that's why we're going to lay this foundation. Yeah, hopefully um, if folks stay with us for the next episode, they'll they'll see some of the outworking of these principles in modern day life and in the way that we try to live out our lives as the church of Jesus. So more reason to join us on our yeah. next episode. <laughs> That's right. So you guys, um, you know, commit this podcast to memory and then join us next time so that you can test us and see if our current (laughs) pictures of church are living up to this example. So stay tuned for that next podcast coming up in a couple of weeks and Andrew and I are off probably Andrew's off to do something nerdy I'm back to taking care of my kids but it's been fun being with you guys today thanks Andrew this was a good time yep it was great Abigail all right I'll talk to you later thanks for listening to the podcast you can help us reach more people by going to iTunes subscribing and leaving a review and if you like what we're doing here tell a friend about us in an age of social media word of mouth is still the most powerful way to spread the message 